it. First of all, if anybody is interesting, uh, interested in joining our uh, Bible study on Tuesday nights, uh, my email address is dlbickle, you can see the spelling up there, the two L's, at gmail.com. Just send me a request and I'll send you uh, an invite. We'd love to have any of you uh, in our study. Ronnie, I, I would ask you, would you open us with a word of prayer? I certainly can. Bow with us. Father, once again, thank you for all that is ours in Christ. Thank you for these speakers, Father, that we've heard today, for the blessings that we've gained from it. Father, for the realization of Christ and who he is in the world and in the dispensation in which we live. Father, thank you for the truth that these men put forth. Father, it's so rare in the world we live in, and we're thankful for it. We ask that you would bless us now according to your will and purpose that you purposed in Christ before the ages were, that we may come to a greater understanding of him through that which we're about to hear. For it's in his name we do pray. Amen. Amen. And with that, I'll uh, jump out. Dave, it's all yours. All right. Thank you, Ronnie. Um, So in our study uh, over the last several months, we've been looking at the conflict of the ages and particularly a segment uh, examining the roles of the true sea and the false sea. Um, I've, I guess since some of you have been entitling your messages, I'll give a title uh, to this as uh, the path to the consummation of the true seed, false seed question. Uh, I I was reading not uh, maybe three or four days ago, and, and I thought uh, what I was reading uh, would be pertinent uh, to all of you. Um, there is no doubt whatsoever that present world conditions are causing a great deal of uncertainty, anxiety, and unrest. Wherever we turn, the problems mount and seem insoluble. Lasting peace and stability have vanished, and it matters not whether we look at the state of the world, the state of our nation, or our own personal problems. Life is getting more and more difficult as the days pass. It is not to be wondered at that many are bewildered and have come to the conclusion that the only thing to do is to live for the present and try to forget the future. Unfortunately, this is like the ostrich putting its head in the sand. It solves nothing, and pressing problems are not resolved by ignoring them. Gross materialism, greed, and lust for power rear their ugly heads everywhere. Governments do little more than set before the people the hope of raising the standard of living, as though this, when achieved, will end all the difficulties and bring in a millennium of peace and plenty. Surely it should be obvious that the troubles that afflict us do not spring from outward conditions alone, but result from the condition of men's minds. If only these could be controlled, and selfishness and greed replaced by lasting unselfishness and genuine concern for others, the whole world situation could be transformed. 
But some will say that this is impossible. So where do we go from here? To whom or to what can we turn? Could it be that the Bible, the book of God, contains the solution? While scriptures are largely disregarded today, the person who thinks seriously would do well to turn to its pages and seek to discover what God says about the future and whether there is any real hope of surmounting and banishing the colossal problems that beset us. Uh, I did not read that in the newspaper, the current edition of the newspaper. I read it in a pamphlet called The Conditions of the World Conditions and the End of the Age. It was written in 1977 by Stuart Alpine, our brother in England. Very pertinent today, wouldn't you say? Uh, <clears throat> in Peter, Second Peter, we really have the answer to what Stuart was posing as a question. Second Peter, chapter one, verse nineteen. We have also a more sure word of prophecy. For unto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in the dark place, until the day dawn and the day star arise in your heart. Now, in our studies, um, I found it really helpful, and, and just like Alan before me, uh, I don't have slides. I could, but I don't. I'm going back to an older teaching technology that uh, was helpful to me and maybe some of the, the other of you folks that are on this uh, call today. And uh, let's see if you recognize this. Does this look familiar to any of you? It's okay to unmute. Okay, Ronnie says, yes, I get it. That's um, me. <laughs> you can grow a shark by Oscar. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Um, in 1985, I attended my first and, as it turned out, the last TFT conference uh, held by uh, Oscar and May Baker um, in Warsaw, Indiana. And the first night, we had a study or two in his home and in his home were all of his teaching tools and he used charts and it's it's very pertinent to speaking to anyone who's really trying to dig into you know what is this this, this isn't what i'm hearing in church yeah you aren't going to hear this in church but just for the sake of what we're talking about today, uh, Oscar had diagrammed from Second Peter, uh, chapter three, six, seven, and thirteen, the uh, delineation of the three cosmos: the earth that then was, the earth now, and the new earth. And he phrased that with the scripture from Ecclesiastes 
you have seen what I did unto the Egyptians, and I, how I bear you on eagles' wings, and brought you unto myself. Now therefore, if ye will obey my voice indeed, and keep my covenant, and ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, for all the earth is mine, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which thou shalt speak unto the children of Israel. So as we look at this passage of scripture, there are some things that really should be noted in this passage. Number one, Israel was separated from all nations. Number two, Israel is a peculiar treasure. Third, Israel is to be a royal priesthood. And there are some conditions. Obedience and keeping the covenant. Also, the Lord says, for all the earth is mine. You must never keep that in mind as we look at the world situation around us. But what this passage suggests is, without a doubt, there's special favor that is shown to Israel, particularly with a view unto the blessing of the nations. Uh, let's turn back to Genesis chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Just to take a look there. Now, I'd like to start with verse 1. That would set the context. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord had said unto Abram, Get thee out of thy country and from thy kindred, and from thy father's house, unto a land that I will show thee. He's saying, take the first step in being set apart. Verse 2, And I will make of thee a great nation, and I will bless thee, and make thy name great, and thou shalt be a blessing. And I will bless them that bless thee, and curse him that curseth thee, and in thee shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So we're beginning to see a role and the purpose that Israel is to play in God's strategic plan. We're not delving into all the whys and wherefores, but take it from me who takes it from Scripture that there was a conflict going on for control of God's creation. <clears throat> When we said the, the path, the, the consummation of the false seed and the true seed, and we know that an enemy is at work, that um, Israel failed greatly in all aspects in the Old Testament. And then when Christ, their Messiah, came, they failed. 
with few exceptions. And then when the ministry of Christ was offered to be presented further by the apostles, the twelve, and Paul, still Israel rejected. And they weren't a blessing to the earth. They were a curse. So, Stuart Allen said, you know, look at Second Peter 1, uh, 2, chapter 2, verse 19, and we look at prophecy. Let's turn to the last prophet in the Old Testament, book of Malachi. chapter 3 verses 17 and 18 and they shall be mine saith the Lord of hosts in that day when I make up my jewels or Bollinger alliterates a peculiar treasure and I will spare them as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. Then shall ye return and discern between the righteous and the wicked, between him that serveth God and him that serveth him not. <clears throat> Earlier, Malachi really states the issue Israel was having. In chapter 2, Let's look at verse 11 and 12. Malachi, chapter 2, verse 11. Judah hath dealt treacherously, and an abomination is committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. For Judah hath profaned the holiness of the Lord, which he loved and hath married the daughter of a strange God. The Lord will cut off the man that doeth this, the master and the scholar, out of the tabernacles of Jacob, and him that offereth an offering unto the Lord of hosts. Israel uh, corrupted the covenant and did not preserve their separateness from the nations. They were set aside. They were a peculiar treasure. And to whom is Malachi speaking here? The priests. The priests in the tabernacles. And just kind of in line of what you were hearing from Brother Nos previously. Sounds familiar today. The same thing is going on. Um, let's look at the New Testament and, and to really get a bent on what the Apostle Peter is saying in his first epistle as to what and where he sees the role of Israel going forward in his time. So 1 Peter, 
chapter 2, let's look at verse 5 and 9. Ye also, as lively, or we could say living stones, are built up a spiritual house and holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God by Jesus Christ. And then verse 9. But ye are chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar people, that ye should show forth the praises of him who hath called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And really, in looking at, at that first letter, what we you're really going to pull out of, of, of that study is Peter presenting the idea of there's going to be suffering with a view to glory. And that's not the only place we're going to get that message um, that there's going to be suffering in order to achieve glory. And, again, I really appreciated the study that Dr. Mike and Forrest put together for us on the Shekinah glory earlier. But Revelation chapter 1, verses 5 and 6. And from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, let's let's make a note here from the there's a difference here from what Moses heard from the word of the Lord and delivered to Israel and what we see here about this royal priesthood. This one is different because what Moses is saying is the royal priesthood was going to be comprised of those who kept the covenant and who were obedient to God. What do we have here? In the royal priesthood, the change is, we look at verse 5 again, unto him that loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Redemption. Redemption. So the royal priesthood are certainly of the redeemed. Um, when, I, when I read that again, because we haven't really gotten to the purpose we have, but we're going to see significantly the charge and the purpose to Israel and their part in the conflict of the ages. But I just can't help myself. Let's turn to Ephesians chapter 1. 
making sure that we all understand that the purpose of God can only be carried out by the redeemed. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 4. According as he hath chosen us in him before the catabole of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. Set apart without blame. Verse 5. Having predestinated us unto the adoption of sonship, Jesus Christ, to himself, according to the good pleasure of his will, to the praise of the glory of his grace, wherein he hath made us accepted in the beloved, in whom we have the redemption, through his blood, the forgiveness of sins, according to the riches of his grace. So there's the, there, there's the peril. The purpose of God can only truly be carried on by the redeemed. <clears throat> to its fullest conclusion. Um, so, let's turn back again in Revelation to chapter 5. Just to, to reiterate this. <clears throat> Revelation 5, verse 9 and 10. And we're speaking, you'll see here. Um, let's, let's look at verse 8. And when he had taken the book, the four beasts, those are the cherubim, and the four and twenty elders fell down before the Lamb, having every one of them harps and golden vials full of odors, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sung a new song, saying, Thou art worthy to take the book, to open the seals thereof, that thou wast slain, and hast redeemed us to God by the blood out of every kindred and tongue and people and nation, and hast made us unto our God kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. That was the song. Um, so, when we want to see more about, you know, this group of people that are going to carry on, that are going to be part of this royal priesthood, we need to turn further back in Revelation to chapter 20. And we'll start, we'll read verse 4, chapter 20. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, and for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads, or in their hands, and they had lived and reigned with Christ a thousand years. I'd ask you to... Hold your place. I realize you don't have enough fingers. Uh, I'm always asking you to hold your place, stick your finger in there. Let's turn back to Malachi chapter 2. 
officials. We really get a picture of what one of the real conditions is going to be. Malachi chapter 2. Now I'm going to have to find the first. I didn't put the first down. Okay. I'm looking. I'll get there. Well, it is here, and I'm not seeing it, but the fact is that Malachi is saying that Israel, in order to be and, and mature into this royal priesthood, is going to have to go through the refiner's fire to be made like gold and silver totally purify. This group cannot be swayed by strange women, idols, idolatry as the nation's history is, is so much uh, enveloped in idolatry. These will have come out and as we look back at Revelation in, in 24, people were slain. They were slain because they would not worship the beast nor take his mark. Their faith stood for them. Another good example is chapter 11 of Hebrews. And by faith, they were willing to give up earthly things, including their life, in order to obtain what the Lord had promised them. So, here's our first group that, that are going to be part of the royal priesthood. Um, but, we're going to see there, there are others. Turn back to Matthew chapter 19. We'll start with uh, verse 27 through 29. Matthew 19 verse 27. Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. What shall we have therefore? And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of his glory, ye shall also sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And every one that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive an hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life, or age life. 
but many that are first shall be last, and the last shall be first. And we can get a little more clarification if we go back to Revelation, chapter 6, verses 9 and 11, 9 through 11. And when he had opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the souls of them that were slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, dost thou not judge and avenge our blood on them that dwell on the earth? And white robes were given unto every one of them, and it was said unto them, that they should rest yet for a little season until their fellow servants also and their brethren that should be killed as they were should be fulfilled. So we saw the overcomers and the faithful are going to have a special reward and to be a part of this royal priesthood for God's purpose. Um, so let's take a look, uh, starting in verse 1 of chapter 20 of Revelation. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, and having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on the dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. Cast him up into the bottomless pit, and shut him up, and set a seal upon him, that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years should be fulfilled. And after that, he must be loosed a little season. And I saw thrones, and they sat upon them, and judgment was given unto them. And I saw the souls of them that were beheaded for the witness of Jesus, for the word of God, which had not worshipped the beast, neither his image, neither had received his mark on their foreheads or in their hands, and they lived and reigned with Christ. A thousand years. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he that hath part in the, and that really should be former resurrection. It's not the first resurrection. First resurrection, we see it in Ephesians, Paul delineates it as the ex Anastasius. The resurrection out from the, uh, from among the dead, and if you're not familiar with that, that's that's a worthy study. But this is the former resurrection of the two, the one at the end of the thousand years, and this is the one at the beginning of the millennial kingdom. <laughs> so blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. On such. The second death has no power, but they shall be priests of God and of Christ, and shall reign with him a thousand years. And when the thousand years are expired, Satan shall be loose and out of his prison. So, 
we're starting to see here, you know, what is being taught in the Christian religion is not, we're not getting all the facts. And, and, and a further study in that we aren't time-wise allowed to even delve into uh, a deep study of the millennial kingdom. But suffice to say, at the end, that great deceiver, the liar, the murderer, is let loose. So, um, what what is really going to be happening in the millennial kingdom is that the purpose of God that he has designated to Israel is going to take place. Hold your place in Revelation. Turn back to Matthew chapter 28. verse 18 and he's with his disciples on the mount and Jesus came and spake unto them saying all power is given unto me in heaven and in earth go ye therefore and teach all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. So, in this thousand years, Israel, the royal priesthood, is residing in the presence of our Lord, who has been enthroned on the throne of David, on the holy mountain, from whence all light emanates and all control of the earth is. And then Israel follows Christ's command 2,000 years prior and goes out unto all the nations who don't have the devil, Satan, around to deceive them so they can hear the truth as it stands. So they, many will be baptized. Many will become believers and be changed in an instant. So they can join the, the kingdom of heaven on earth as a spiritual being. They will be born again. This is Israel's role. <clears throat> Continuing on. Verse 8, and shall go out to deceive the nations. So Satan is let loose and immediately he goes out to deceive the nations which are in the four quarters of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together to battle, the number of whom is as the sand of the sea. This is the largest rebellion that the earth has ever seen or will see. 
they went up on the breadth of the earth and compassed about the camp of the saints and the beloved city. And then the end. The tares, the tares are now burned up. The wheat is ready for the full harvest. Because fire came down from God out of heaven and devoured them. And the devil that deceived them was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are, and shall be tormented day and night forever. So I just raised the question to all of those living in the Christian religion. You are taught, and I'm not speaking to I probably very few, if any, you are taught that if you aren't good, you're going to a place of eternal conscious torment where the devil will be there for eternity. Well, that's a lie. Because the devil isn't going to be there for eternity. The devil has a finite life. And then he's done. He is no more. Continuing on. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it from whose face the earth and heaven fled away. And there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God. And the books were opened. Another book was opened, which is in the book of life. And the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. Again, I, one of the first lessons that I had the privilege to sit in under Oscar Baker, he made it clear. He said, underline that word white. This is a white throne judgment. God is white. He is not darkness. It's not a black throne judgment. It's just of judgment of works, and only for those who are in the book of life. Only those who are asleep in Christ and then arisen through this resurrection at the end of the millennial kingdom. Verse 13, And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and hell were delivered up the dead which were in them, and they were judged every man according to their works. And death and the grave were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. And whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Continuing on, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away. And there was no more sea. And I, John, saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down from God, out of heaven, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a great voice out of heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be with them and be their God. So we have 
at the end of chapter 20, the resolution of sin. It is finally eliminated. The false seed is burned up. And all those in the graves that have not come out of them because they did not believe, those that passed on into the grave, those graves along with death were thrown into the lake of fire. Poof. So, there's blessing. Israel becomes a blessing to all the earth. They were able to follow Christ's command. They went out. They were missionaries. They were on their journey. They were proclaiming Christ. Not only as the Savior, but the King, because the King now resided on earth. The King of Kings. And doing it willingly, with no thought to any of the, the past history of their nation. They were blessed. They were an absolute and are an absolute and will be an absolute part of God's strategic plan. Sin is out and when we come back here, Israel's purpose is accomplished. They were a blessing to the earth. The church because of its purpose and its belief and faith, and I say the church, excuse me, the ecclesia, the assembly, is, are they blessed? Are we blessed? How? With every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places far above. So God's plan, as I see it, comes out and we are all blessed. All that remain at the end are blessed. To God be the glory forever.